0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horwitz. And welcome back, America, to the only independent conservative revolution here at the Conservative Review podcast in Central Maryland at our Northern Command Center. And no, we are not recording yet in Greenland. Um, from all of Trump's distractions, I think this is really One I actually agree with, we need to annex Greenland. See, right now in this country, you and I as forgotten American taxpayers, we don't want to be regulated. We don't want to be subsidized. We don't ask for anything. But the core social compact protections that are due and owed to us, we don't get that. So anyone could just come to our border Anyone could demand anything. Anyone could gain access in court and sue us for anything they want to do. And there's not a darn thing you and I could do about that. That's where we're basically told. Now, we've spent much of the week focusing a lot on the interior. I'm dealing with endless cases of illegal alien sex offenders, child sex offenders, uh, murders. There was a triple homicide in North Carolina last night. I could write articles exclusively on this. We focused a lot on this this week. We're going to get back to that next week, um, as well as other stuff. But I want to go back to the border itself. There's been a lot going on. There's been questions about President Trump slowly implementing some of the ideas that we have proposed, not the categorical 8 USC 1182 f shutdown, which should take place. So we're seeing some results. The numbers are going down. Um, So it's definitely not as bad as it was at the peak, but it's still well beyond catastrophic levels, especially in East Texas, South Texas. And there are also other things going on. We have to remember, people are now coming from all 49 countries. Before we bring on our guest, our very first special guest here. And by the way, those of you listening on iTunes, this is why you want to tune into YouTube and see the video. Now you can finally see. Some of the, our long standing guests, you're, you'll see what they look like. So, we're going to introduce uh, Todd Bensman in a couple of minutes. I just want to read to you here you know, this just came out from our friends at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, we, right? We only have one branch of government, the Ninth Circuit. So, um, they ruled yesterday, uh, this is Circuit Judge Marsha Berzon, a Clinton appointee, um, that. The Central District of California Judge Dolly Gee's June 2017 order modifying the terms of the 1997 Flora settlement was correct. Uh, Quote, assuring that children eat enough edible food, drink clean water, are housed in hygienic facilities with sanitary bathrooms, have soap and toothpaste and are not sleep deprived, are without doubt essential to the children's safety. So they mandated toothbrushes for everyone and they also mandated a, quote, youth coordinator to work things out. So, I mean, folks, could you imagine if we had a piece of legislation where Congress would get together and say, "Anyone who wants to come to our border, we ta- as taxpayers are responsible." And it's not the toothbrushes. It's it's what it embodies, what it reflects. We pay for the expensive medical care that they come specifically for that when our laws under 1182 section 212 of the INA, which we talk about so often, we did a whole show uh two days ago on the history of these laws they are inadmissible yet we don't have lawyers as the american sovereign to go and enforce those laws and demand and sue the government for not enforcing them no foreign nationals 7.8 billion people and as we're going to talk about with todd not just from central america but anywhere in the world if anything is going on that they don't like it's kind of crappy there They could come here and there is no ability or desire from our government to enforce 1182, meaning, will they be assimilable? Do they share our values? Will they be security threats? Will they be health risks? Will they be public charges? Almost all of them are public charges. We do not enforce that. Anyway, this judge goes on to say that even though, as we mentioned so often, Section 1225 one of the INA, which says that, These people shall be detained. Well, really, it doesn't mean that. This is a type of crap we're dealing with, and I've frankly had enough of it. Anyway, before I just blow it up here, I want to introduce our guest. Um, As you well know, we have a phony conservative movement. Um, We have a bunch of Teletubbies, a bunch of thumb suckers, click-servative grifters, that all they want to do is have a talking point. Nobody wants to do the hard policy work or investigative journalism. We don't have journalists anymore on any side. Don't you want to know what's going on at the border? Todd Benzman, we've had him on a couple of times. He's senior national security correspondent at Center for Immigration Studies. Terrific organization. One of the few organizations that I actually believe in that's doing good work. This man is very unique. See, he's both an intel guy and a journalist. He worked many years in in the early 2000s um, as an investigative journalism covering terrorism for the Hearst Papers, Dallas Morning News. Then he went into Texas Department of Public Safety's Intel Division, did counterterrorism analysis. Now he's back out, both being an analyst for CIS, as well as writing at Federalist, PJ Media, um, Town Hall, all sorts of places, prolific writer. You're going to want to see his columns. You're going to want to follow him at Benzman Todd on Twitter. You're going to want to go to CIS and follow all of his articles, counterterrorism, border, special interest aliens, you name it. He just took a trip to Piedras Negras, Mexico, right on the other side of Del Rio County, uh, Texas, where particularly Cubans, Russians, Africans, Middle Easterners, all sorts of people are coming in that the media doesn't want to talk about. And he's got some great pictures we're going to put up on the monitor. With no further ado, we are introducing our very first guest for this revamped video show, but certainly a repeat guest for the original conservative conscience show, Todd Benzman. Hey, Todd, thanks for being our guinea pig here hey. on the video show. <laughs>
1: yeah, no problem. Thanks for that intro. Good to be. Here. Well,
0: look, you know, you're the only one who at least has journalistic intrigue. What you're doing, I know you're a conservative like me, but it's it's not even about conservatism. It's about just plain journalism. Could you describe a little bit what you saw and what you were trying to find there on the Mexican side of uh, Del Rio? Sure.
1: Well, a couple of months ago, I wrote a piece for CIS at CIS.org, Center for Immigration Studies, uh, quoting uh, two on the ground uh, credible sources who were describing a massive influx of migrants from what we call uh, special interest countries or um, extra territorial migrants from all over the world that were moving through in really unprecedented numbers through the Darien gap between Colombia and Panama, all on their way to the United States. And I put that out there, uh, really a tremendous number of Africans, all of them had heard about the disarray at our border, and they wanted to get in while the getting's good. And that was the reason why so many were coming through. Now, we've always had traffic through the Darien Gap on the way to the border, but nothing like these numbers. 30,000, 35,000 was the um, the estimate that I was given. And I knew that eventually these people would start to show up at the border and that we wouldn't really be – the media wouldn't really be on, the, on that uh, dime very well because they're so um, – Preoccupied with Central Americans, so what I wanted to do is give that human flow a chance to kind of start to show up at the border, and then go down and see for myself who they were, how they got there, actually interview some myself, and uh, so that that was the reason why I went down this time. I wanted to. I knew that there was a an encampment just over the Texas border from Del Rio in a in a town called Acuna. so I went over, and uh, you know, I had intelligence sources uh, confirm that they, that that encampment was there and who was in it. So I went over there, and I interviewed. Uh, I found a Russian who had come all the way from the province neighboring Japan. I found Cubans. I found uh, Cameroonians. I found uh, Democratic Republic of Congo uh, folks all in this camp as well. So. Uh, I interviewed them. I haven't written my story yet, but if you uh, stay tuned to CIS next week, I should have it out. But I, we can talk about it here, too, Daniel.
0: And and, and folks, we're actually going to put up on the monitor here. You could see um, Todd's iPhone. I mean, this is how dedicated he is and meticulous he is. None of these guys speak English or a lot of them don't. A lot of them don't speak Spanish because he was dealing with the special interest aliens from extracontinental areas, you know, in Africa. They spoke French, some of them from Congo. So there he is with uh, you know, Google Translate trying to get the story from them. And one of the things, Todd, I mean, I just notice is that man, some of these guys are muscled up. I mean they look like warriors. I mean, if I wanted to invade a country, I mean, that's the type of army I'd want. Well, you know, the,
1: the, most of the Africans that are coming through seem to be military-aged men, uh, young men coming through single. Uh, I wrote a, a piece, a separate piece for CIS, um, also within the last couple of months, raising the, the red flag that uh, when they cross our border, they they could be the persecutor or the persecutee. Uh more likely they're the persecutee. Uh these folks tend to have a story of persecution that has at least, you know, far more um um credibility to them than anybody coming from Guatemala. Yeah. So uh but we we really don't know who they are. And I I was just advocating that our homeland security people need to hold these folks back and really check them out uh, better than they do uh, most other kinds of migrants from you know Mexico and closer closer in so yeah they're young young military age guys i asked them were you in a military were you in a militia i would just ask point blank knowing what the answer would be but still i have their eyes right there and i can kind of you know i can make a i can make gut judgments on whether they're being deceptive. And of course, the answer was always, oh, of course not. You know, we we were victims of those people. Uh, but I'll have, we'll have to leave uh, a further investigation of those people to our Department of Homeland Security people once they come in.
0: So m- my thing is, I, I guess I'm kind of an ad hoc public defender of the sovereign American taxpayer that has no voice. And, you know, the first thing I think of before we even get to the fiscal cost, which we'll talk about, is just you know again from a security standpoint most of them don't look i mean some of them they look pretty muscled up i'm not saying they're bad people but you know they didn't exactly look downtrodden but here's my problem and this is why i started out with the ninth circus because that that's what it is let's be honest here there's nothing new going on in any of these countries there's always in many parts of the world civil wars or even persecutions But the reason that you have such large numbers now is because the courts invited them to come in. Now, once they come in or once they come to the border with some of them, it's not that it's not terrible in their places and it's not that they might even be in danger. But then the question is, especially with the homogenous countries, they're kind of of the same ilk that are doing it. It's hard to disentangle them. And how do we know, like, did you get the impression that these guys are like, man, apple pie, America, like, I want to, you know, like, like the people from Europe coming in the 1880s, I want to become American, or is like, look, it's practical, it's a horrible place, if I could come in, and they're going to allow me to come in, I'll come in, but are we really going to benefit as a nation from these people?
1: Well, look, I mean, every migrant is an individual, Uh, some may have a criminal history, some may be hard workers. Some may be educated. I I actually met a Congolese who uh, claimed that he had graduated from college. So, um, you know, in in, um, technology with some kind of degree related to technology. So, yeah, it's just hard to say. But all I ever argue for, Daniel, is for strong vetting, that we owe it to the people that you've described that when people are coming in from these kind of places that we really know how to vet them in with intelligence, with, uh, face-to-face interviews, uh, with, um, you know, dumping their cell phone data, uh, checking them out as much as we possibly can before a credible fear interview is granted or an asylum is granted. Almost all of these people that I met in that encampment in Mexico are going to claim asylum. They're waiting there under a policy that we call metering. And um, I was somewhat, uh, I guess, uh, feeling optimistic about about some of the people in this camp because they would say things like, I could have swam the river, I could have crossed the river. The river was like 200 yards away from this encampment, but I wanna do it the right way. And they're willing to wait in this camp until it's their turn to get an interview, a face-to-face interview and a court hearing and an NTA from CVP. And some of them have been waiting for five, six weeks. One of them have been ma- waiting for three months. Um, I was But, heart-
0: but Todd, Todd, yeah. so you're, you're just to – I don't mean to cut you off there because I want to move this along. We're running out of time here. Um, when it comes to – the extracontinental folks so you're saying generally particularly where you went they're not the ones sneaking in they're the ones that are saying look you know i'm, I'm i am being persecuted i'm willing to wait but i'm looking here and i can't share this data but you as a, a former uh you know employee of texas dps are certainly very familiar with what i'm what i'm looking at here on my phone um you know there's about 50 different countries of origin where they track apprehensions in in texas it's just the state of texas because you know it comes from dps it's not you know nationwide or border wide from border patrol and i'm looking at all sorts of countries here for july the numbers i see and you know there's close to a hundred from from democratic republic of congo one week i got here uh cameron obviously angola um Lots of different countries, Sri Lanka. So clearly, they are also apprehending those who come over, meaning I think those are only, those aren't the meter. If they're metered, they wouldn't be counted in those numbers. So, what do you know about those also trying to cross over from these other countries and what happens with them once they're apprehended?
1: Plenty, plenty of people from uh, around the world just crossed the border mainly because they heard that they could just be released quickly because we are in such disarray. So all of the people that are coming in, um, I would say probably most of them just cross the river and just say, hey, asylum, and there's no bed space. So they get an NTA, uh, a notice yep. to appear, rather, and they get they get waved on through. What's supposed to happen, though, uh, the, the protocol is that uh, ICE will hold them in detention. There'll be a bond set. Uh, there'll be time for ice intelligence officers to conduct interviews. My fear is, and it's not really a fear. I think that I'm actually hearing this, that they're too busy with the Central Americans. And so these folks are just kind of getting, if they get any kind of vetting at all, I'd be surprised. And they're just basically being, making bond and, and waving through with the rest of them. And that's a, that's very
0: problematic. No, it really is. And it's true of the Central Americans, too. Um, We have no idea who they are. Often we don't have NCIC data or it takes a long time to get it if they do share it. Um, They say I'm Mickey Mouse, give a Mickey Mouse date of birth. And what I'm hearing from some of our mutual friends in Border Patrol, that they are being released. Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma revealed at a hearing with CBP Commissioner Mark Morgan that you know, there were several cases of known convicted sex offenders and murderers um, who already had records that were released openly as a family unit, not as a runner, as a family unit. Um, I had dealt with a case from Alabama where a Guatemalan came in with a kid a couple months ago and raped that golden ticket kid. So, again, you know, they're like, all right, a guy with a kid, whatever, wave them on. And again, to me, this is a violation of everything in 1182F. You have to check to see if they have it. And if I can't determine it, you're not released. But it's the opposite. It's we have a truncated deadline. You're released irrespective of this. So that really concerns me. On the one hand, you're right. Some of the extracontinental folks probably have more of a legitimate claim. I mean, relatively than the Central Americans. But on the other hand, dude, if I'm Russia or Cuba, Castro, I mean... And I want to get in my espionage, folks. Isn't this a great opportunity?
1: Well, let me just quickly, because uh, I know I know you're you've got a timeline here, a time here. But uh, you know, I interviewed this Russian, and you you can show that picture. I found a Russian in this camp, and I interviewed him. And in my uh, I guess my professional experience uh, interviewing migrants from my intelligence days, you know, I had red flags going off with this guy. For one thing, he uh once when when we really kind of dug in it turns out that he had some kind of problem with the police in russia some kind of issue he would not give me his full name he uh was kind of very vague every time i talked about that the way his eyes moved the way he, he he his body language was and i suspect that when he finally gets across in front of some professional intelligence officers that um, they're going to have a, they're they're probably going to have some issues with this guy. He probably has a criminal record, or he had he's fleeing some kind of a crime situation back home. And then the question is, what do you do? Do you call the Russians? And will will our will the, will they call the Russians? And will the Russians give us any information? And is he an intelligence uh, officer? He could be part of the the Russian intelligence
0: apparatus posing as a migrant. And what or, I've noticed is that. No one wants to talk about the ones we don't see. I mean, this is a guy you saw and found, so you can only imagine the ones we don't see, and we don't see them as a result of border patrol ha- having to do all these babysitting mandates. So when when the Democrats and and phony Republicans and the courts start placing these mandates, they don't realize every time you take them off the line, more of these guys are going to get in. I don't. I, I doubt you saw them in this encampment, but what I've been told is there's a lot of Chinese. And you try working with the CHICOM government on that, right? Well,
1: right. I mean, there there are a whole host of governments that can do nothing for us. Somalia, Libya, (laughs) Syria. I mean, when Syrians cross the Texas border, and they do, it's not like we can call the Assad regime and say, hey, give us a criminal (laughs) history on this guy, right? It's just not going to happen. Uh, we, there are a lot of, uh, people who are coming from countries that have no intelligence apparatus. Some of them haven't even had police forces like Somalia for 20 or 30 years. So, uh, you know, if, or jail. So if somebody was committing rape, uh, in Somalia, you know, we're not going to know. So it's, the whole thing is just the extra, um, continental migrant migration is a unique, Problem with our border insecurity that needs to be dealt with in its own unique way, and I'm really just worried that we have just uh, thrown out all the protocols while we're dealing with Hondurans, and it's just too bad. I think yeah. somewhere yeah. in the next year or two, uh, there's going
0: to be hell to pay over that. There really is, and I want to talk about some of that too. People we let in through the front door and give green cards, so you can only imagine the ones we we don't vet even even a shred. I mean, again, I'm looking here. You got Russia, Sierra Leone, Sri Lanka. Um, We've even had from Pakistan, Kosovo, um, Bangladesh. There's really been a steady trickle. I'm not just ones and twos, but you're seeing just looking at the apprehensions about 15, 20 a week. We're apprehending. Have You seen any of those?
1: Yeah, I I didn't uh, personally see any Bangladeshis on this trip. Uh, I have interviewed Bangladeshis, though, uh, and I, I know about them and. I actually am so concerned about the uh, flow of people from Bangladesh that I wrote a a piece about Bangladesh and why we should be worried about uh, folks coming in from Bangladesh, uh, which has to do with the country conditions there and the sheer number of uh, terrorists and extremists, Islamic extremists that have taken up residency in the country and Al Qaeda and ISIS and um, a number of localized indigenous Islamic extremist groups. We have no idea whether the Bangladeshis that we're seeing at the border are them.
0: Because, again, I mean, you and I were talking about numerous cases this week of people that were brought in as refugees or other LPRs through the traditional application process that turn out to be, I mean, look at this, Todd. What the heck? I mean, these... uh, (laughs) <laughs> for the the two Somalis from Tucson. This is a couple weeks ago. Um, and I'm just reading from the indictment here. Muhammad told the UC undercover FBI agent that he and Abu jihad started going to the gym so they could get stronger and behead those Kufar, right? The you know uh, infidel. Um Muhammad indicated that he wanted to make Hijra and ask for help from the UC. Muhammad state that he was a lion bull killing the Kufar and beheading. I mean Dude, like these are the guys we, we we brought in on green cards and it's not like, you know, and, and not that this is not a problem, it's terrible. But the kind of, you know, slick, you know, sue terrorists with the terror finance, which is certainly a huge problem. I mean, this was like a muscle man saying, I want to behead people. I I could only imagine if I put myself in um, Rahani's shoes, a guy like Rahani controls the IRGC, the Quds Force, big presence in Latin America. They are very well acquainted with our politics, that we're at a point that if you come certainly with a kid, you're going to be released and there's a huge pressure. If you are a border agent and you know this, Todd, any border agent will tell you what's in your mind. Oh, my gosh, I have to stop any terrorists. I have to defend America. No, it's dude, I'm going to get sued. I got to I'm going to the media is going to be on me. I got to let these guys go. It's the migrant, the migrant, the migrant, not the American sovereign, not security. Let's talk about this in the prism of the ISIS guys that were um, potential ISIS guys caught, thankfully, by the Costa Ricans being held in Costa Rica. You told me about this two months ago. I wrote about it based on your article, but you're telling me this is still going on, right?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, just to remind your viewers, what happened was there were two Iraqis and two Egyptians that were apprehended Actually, they were apprehended in Nicaragua after the Americans put out a bolo, a be on the lookout for notice. DHS mm. put, out, put that out uh, because there was intelligence received, according to my sources from uh, a, a human, uh, a confidential source in Venezuela, that these guys were all ISIS, three of them. And then there was a fourth one as well. So the bolo went out, the Nicaraguans caught them and the, uh, turn them over to the Costa Ricans where theoretically the Americans would, in the region would go in there and, and, and conduct interviews. Uh, the reason we haven't heard anything since then, according to my sources, because I've been checking uh, in the intelligence community is that, that for some unknown reason, the Costa Ricans will not grant access to the Americans. So they're just in Costa Rican custody and that's all anybody knows.
0: Don't we have DHS on the ground there or it's just yes. our equipment?
1: Yes. No, we have – well, we're mainly in the neighboring countries. We, we will – I don't think we have a station there uh, where we, we have DHS, CBP people, but we do have them in Panama and in Honduras and El mm. Salvador. So it's really just a hop, skip, and a jump over to Costa Rica. We, we go into Costa Rica regularly. We, we've caught suspected terrorists – on that migrant route, on their way to the U.S. border, in the past, uh, quite a few of them, Somalis, uh, and, and typically, what happens is, you know, we'll go in there and we'll we'll interview them and you know do do our thing, you know, our intelligence thing on them, and we've deported uh, back to their home countries. We we had the Panamanians deport six Pakistanis a couple of years ago, who were uh, suspected Al Qaeda members that were on their way to the U.S. border. These four, for some reason, the Costa Ricans are not granting us access, and I can't figure out why, and I don't think we know why.
0: Wow. And and folks, I want to remind you again, you know, you will not find a better expert, both from a journalistic background and from an intel background, on the issue of Middle Easterners, extracontinental migrants coming to the Western Hemisphere up through Central America coming to our border and, you know, when this broke open, when the president mentioned Middle Easterners come in and, you know, Africans, everyone's like, oh, it's not true. It's made up. And, and none of these shows would have Todd on. It, it's bizarre. And, and that's why we try to have real experts, not the phony uh, cable TV experts who know from nothing. Um, and I do want you guys to Google Google around um, Todd Benzman, Costa Rica, Panama. He took a trip there uh, earlier this year, late, late last year in december and actually i mean you could see his pictures the pictures from there are just truly astounding you will see camps of middle easterners and africans i mean they are coming it's not in the hundreds of thousands like the hondurans and guatemalans but it is a lot todd um one of the things i was thinking of i want to get your thoughts on this so my understanding is the main route So the land route starts in the Darien Gap in Panama, but they have to get to the Western Hemisphere, is that they fly into Brazil's capital. They fly into Brazil. That seems to be the main um, landing point for any extracontinental. And
1: Ecuador, too, uh, especially Ecuador.
0: Okay, so so here's
1: here.
0: Here's the deal. And I want to try to pull this up here. And again, I can't show this on the monitor just because you know it is it's not classified, but it is it's not supposed to be released this document and I'm just going to you know use some of the data from it. But I have noticed, Todd, I've been watching the numbers we get from some of our mutual friends um, from Texas DPS, the weekly apprehension numbers in Texas at the border. And I've noticed that the numbers are steadily climbing from two places brazil and ecuador and it's not just a trickle so for example the week of july 31st this is the last that i have 833 brazilians in one week that that's a big increase ecuador 355 those are serious numbers for one week just in texas my immediate concern was are all of them necessarily brazilians Given that that's the transit point for everyone, we I, honestly I don't know the answer to that,
1: uh, Daniel. Can but um, I will say this: that the the entire world has been watching our border in great detail, paying attention to the loopholes. They're learning about these loopholes. They're learning about the uh, overwhelming numbers uh, that have left huge portions of the border unguarded. Uh, they're very aware of which cities are sanctuary cities. They're very aware of the Flores settlement, which had nobody, like I think most Americans don't even know what the Flores settlement is. Yep. But believe yep. me, the whole rest of the world knows what the Flores settlement is. <laughs> and so uh, people in Ecuador are probably taking it, wanting to say that we got to get while the getting's good. In Brazil, if you're sort of on the, things aren't going that well for you in those countries. Uh, make a break for the U.S. while you still can. And I'll, I'll tell you this. I i ran into eight Brazilians in Deming, New Mexico last month. Mm. They, they were in—they had been brought there by Border Patrol. There was a an armory, a National Guard armory holding facility there. Couldn't communicate with them because they're speaking Portuguese. But the city officials had interviewed them, and they told me that the Mexican military let— held back all the Spanish speakers on their way through, uh, Mexico, but are letting through all of the non-Spanish speakers. So if you're speaking Portuguese or, uh, French in West Africa, uh, they're letting them through They're They're like, we're, we're just going to keep the Hondurans because it's easy for us to deport them. That's a bus ride, but it's not so easy for us. We got to do a plane flight for these guys. So we're gonna let the Americans handle those. Uh, so, so I've heard this before that the, the Mexican National Guard, which is supposed to be blocking this, are taking Spanish speakers and everybody else go on
0: underlay. So you're saying that even though there have been some successful policies that have stemmed some of the tide of the Central Americans, this is not stemming the tide of the extracontinental migrants and the special interest aliens. And again, some of them, they'll be metered. And, you know, you have pictures you could see here. On the screen, we have from Todd what metering means, Uh, this document with names crossed off. They take down the names, and every day they come, the CBP comes, gets a few more, interviews them, um, gives them over to the asylum adjudicators at USCIS. But how many are crossing? And Todd, didn't you tell me that there are some that are getting frustrated and they said they're going to try to either pay the cartels or sneak away from the cartels and get over?
1: Yeah, several of them said... They told me that if they, if they get frustrated, the Russian, for example, said if he doesn't get in, he's just going to get in the, the illegal way and claim asylum that way. Uh, I, you know, there's really nothing. There's no law. There's no. There's no legal consequence really for them to uh, cross illegally and claim asylum like everybody else. Um, they just want to uh, do it the right way initially, but they'll do it the wrong way too if push comes to shove. So.
0: Yep, and we 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 have no idea who these people are. And again, it's it's you know, I say this analogy all the time. I'm a big supporter of gun rights in the Second Amendment, but we all agree that even in unambiguous natural right, constitutional right, a state eventually has an interest in checking that to a certain extent. Like you can't carry a bazooka into a courthouse. It's the same thing. Even if it's said in the Constitution Thou, 7.9 billion people in the world can come to the border and ask and get whatever they want, which it certainly doesn't. It says the opposite, actually. If you understand our laws, uh, the Flores settlement is the opposite of 1225 AB1, that they shall be detained. But even if it said it, if it weaponizes migration to this point that we have to let people out without any vetting, it would never, ever compel such an outcome, such a result, even with... You know, even if it's stated in the Constitution, certainly the fact that it's the opposite. It's antithetical to sovereignty, to social compact, to 130 years of case law that we discuss so much on this program. And and these are the national security questions that no one other than Todd really wants to examine and explore. And there's a lot more where this comes from with Todd. And he also does cover a lot of just you know, cases domestically with green card holders, people we let in, terrorism cases. Todd's going to be a regular guest, but I want to leave it there with the terrorism part, the national security threats. I want to move on, Todd, with the remaining time to two more questions. One is just the general overview of the border. And then the next thing is going to be just the welfare and hospitalization and, and and the what Americans are being forced to pay for against our laws and no one's trying to um, defend our laws and ask questions based on the American taxpayer. First thing, what I'm generally hearing, based on the last two months, that between the return to Mexico policy really starting to grow legs, not just a few people, but about 25, maybe 30,000 people have been turned back. Um, Between the imminent implementation, supposedly, of the broader asylum deal with Guatemala say hey anyone who came from any country other than Guatemala um they they're going to be processed in Guatemala um several other enforcement mechanisms it has definitely brought the numbers down there are fewer people surrendering themselves because they know that hey it might no longer be a free ticket so on the one hand that should be good but what i'm being told is that Because there still is such a backlog of the existing ones, and there still is historically a high number surrendering, there still aren't more agents on the line, and they know this. So if you're now a migrant, you're thinking, well, it's more likely if I surrender I'm going to be turned back, but it's still just as likely that they're tied down and the cartels could successfully get me in as a runner, as a gotaway. I'm hearing from the agents that they're seeing on the – the darn what are those called the, the towers and the cameras that texas put up um you know what i mean and yeah. the sensors they're seeing more hits on them more runners from you interviewing the back end are you seeing that more of a flow of runners
1: yeah so here, here's what i'm hearing both from my border patrol sources and from the migrants themselves wh- who who i will interview in mexico so on my last trip, for example, I um, interviewed, I found about a dozen Hondurans who were staging for a crossing uh, of the Rio Grande. Piedras Negras shares the river with uh, Eagle Pass. So where I was, was just on the, the, the Mexican side, about six blocks into town. And I found about a dozen, there were two families and there were a smattering of single uh, men and women. And what they told me was, we're going over and we are going to try to evade border patrol. That is significant because hundreds of thousands of their countrymen and women uh, before them actively sought out border patrol so that they could surrender themselves and go through the easy, free, legal uh, release um, on on, uh, bogus asylum claims. But because the return to Mexico policy has been working uh, in, in their minds, they didn't want to surrender themselves to the Border Patrol out of fear that there was a pretty good chance that they would just be returned again. Uh, and so what these ones were going to do is just run the gauntlet and try to get away from Border Patrol and into the interior. And they admitted it openly. And among that 12, there was even one of the migrants had been returned under the MPP uh, policy Migrant Protection Protocols policy. Sometimes it's called return to Mexico. And he, I asked him for his documents for that, and he showed them to me and I read them. So I know for a fact he had been returned. Well, imagine the impact of that on all of the others. Here's a guy who's sitting there sleeping on the concrete who'd been returned uh, after he had tried it. And so they were going to, they're, they're shifting strategies. On the other hand, Border Patrol agents in the field tell me that they are finding and apprehending MPP recipients who have just turned runner. So they, t- they they send them back to Mexico, and they turn right around, and they just run back over. And I'm also told that there's no real legal consequence to oh, being uh, caught. If you're an MPP person and you, you get caught again, my Border Patrol uh, agents just said that they have no direction or that there's no—they just turn them back again— And they'll try and and they'll just try.
0: Yeah, Todd, I'm hearing a lot of it's also DOJ because it's not just DHS. It's ultimately the U.S. attorneys that have to take the prosecutions. And they just it's kind of like just like Border Patrol is slammed with babysitting duty and that creates certain consequences. They're slammed with so many of the consequences they have to prioritize, too. And they have limited resources. The Southern District of Texas has the second most cases in the entire America just under Eastern District of New York. And it's not even that much of a difference. Eastern District of New York is the enchilada. And so, you know, I I don't necessarily blame them. I think it's more of a resource issue, but that's a problem. Then we need more resources. You know, then that's rather than funding more babysitting, we need to fund more prosecutions. So, so Daniel,
1: on the one hand, we're seeing Uh, subjects of MPP turning around and running back over, okay? But on the other hand, I was in Juarez last month, also interviewing migrants uh, who had been returned under MPP, and I interviewed a family unit that had been turned back. We are turning back some family units. I don't know what the criteria is for that, but but I found them. And um, also quite a few uh, single migrants who had been turned back, and they were planning to go home they were going back to Guatemala and Honduras rather than to wait in Mexico. And I think that there are a, a far larger number of those than there are of the runners. Uh, and I think that overall the policy yes. is probably working. I just read some new data that came out from CBP this morning uh, talking about the uh, they're reporting the numbers from IOM, the International Organization for Migration, UN, which is putting buses in Mexico Filling them up with MPP people, and shipping them back home, and the numbers are in the thousands uh, where that's happening. So I yeah. think I think it's working uh, more yes. so than the than the the other migrants that I met in
0: Piedras Negras. It, you invite them in, they come. You don't invite them in, they won't come. You'll get more runners, but then also it's half-assed, if you know what I mean here. If we if we would fully, you know, once this would be fully enforced. Then the agents are freed up. The agents get freed up. Then they could deal with the runners. And that's really why we have a border patrol. And I think so that is some good news. But again, the bad news that you mentioned is that when it comes to uh, the extracontinental migrants, they probably are not as deterred by this um, because they're not being turned back. And again, not being vetted. That is a huge security problem. One more thing, Todd. All right. Um, I am hearing that. From agents that these people come not that they're necessarily oh they got injured on the way or they're dehydrated that's certainly happening but they have chronic illnesses from aids to surgeries needed and they are coming explicitly to our hospitals for it and our laws this is um i mean straight up you're inadmissible if you're coming for that that's like Beyond a public charge, that's a prima facie, immediate, not likely to become one. You're being admitted as a public charge. Yet we wave them in and no one's asking, who is paying for this? All right. So
1: I, I, I haven't actually been to the uh, hospitals to interview patients. But I will say that uh, two or three days ago, I was in uh, along the border and I had I had a long face-to-face conversation with two Border Patrol agents who are frontline people. And what they told me is that all day, every day, they and their fellow agents are taking migrants to the local hospitals. And the local hospitals, the emergency rooms are absolutely filled up and they have to stay there. They know this because the Border Patrol has to be there with them during the waiting time and during the, the treatment. And whatnot. So, uh, what they told me is that that probably half to two thirds of everyone that they apprehend, those families, family units, are going to the emergency room, into the hospital, and are getting full treatment from cardiovascular assessments to MRIs, X-rays, um, you know, treatment, full treatment, multiple uh, trips back to the to the hospital, to, to get their full treatment. They said that I asked, well, where's this coming from? They said, well, ice has a, a huge budget for, for this. And it (laughs) all comes from federal taxpayer dollars, all of it. I think what they told me is that if, if the treatment occurs 48 hours after, uh, after they arrive, it falls to the federal taxpayers. Uh, so forty-eight within 48 hours, I think it, it, it goes to you some know, other budget. Uh, but. Okay,
0: Todd, you, you're pissing me off. I mean, I can't take it anymore. I can't, no, because there's something that really bothers me that I didn't even realize until you said it. It's worse than it's just coming from the taxpayers. You mentioned ISIS funds. We have in this country, and this is a very modest estimate, it was DHS's blue book as of 2013, before the entire Central American migration, that we have 2 million criminal aliens in this country. We have 1.1 million, sorry, 1.1 million with final deportation orders. Another 1.6 million with close to final deportation orders. And guess what? We have just a couple thousand deportation officers to even scrape the surface of these people. Those people need out of here, every day they're not deported, sex offenses, which is just rampant among them, murders, DUIs. I mean, this is why we have a government. If you ask the American people, should we spend X billion of dollars on security, whether it's terrorism or Whether it's special interest aliens, whether it's MS-13, whether it's keeping criminal aliens out, previously deported aliens out, or should we spend it? Should we have a bill now that anyone in the world could come here for treatments that the American people have to struggle to pay for? It wouldn't even get past the committee level. Yet the unelected DHS clowns and the unelected judges are the ones doing it. We don't have a republic anymore, my friends. We do not. And, and, you know, nothing has changed under this administration on this front. McAleenan is such an ardent Democrat that Jay Johnson, Obama's DHS secretary, had to rebuke him for being too much of a cheerleader as an elected official, almost violating the Hatch Act. Why Trump keeps him, only Allah knows. You know, look, so there's some good news. Some of the stuff that we've been begging for for 15 months has, is starting to work. But there's challenges with runners. There's challenges with special interest aliens not being vetted and they're not being deterred as much. Um, man, before I blow a fuse, Todd, any final thoughts before we close up? Uh,
1: you know, no, I would just I I think that um, we have numbers that have turned down uh, overall numbers that have, uh, you know, of uh, particularly of Northern Triangle migrants that are turned down. Um, we I think it's too early to ascribe that downturn to any one or several policies that have been implemented just because of the heat. I was just down there. It was scalding hot. That is terrible migration travel weather down there. Uh, and every year we usually have a cyclical downturn. But even with that downturn, the numbers that we're seeing are just historically astronomical. Uh, they're just absolutely elevated to historic levels, even now with this heat. Um, I had border patrol agents tell me that they are still spending all day long, their entire shifts, uh, collecting family units from Honduras and waving them through. That is still happening on on a large scale, and I don't think we should forget that, that that's still happening. I'm glad you mentioned
0: the heat. I'm really glad, Todd, you brought that up because it's been a brutal summer in much of America. Here in the East Coast, also, it's been the hottest summer I remember in about 15 years. There, it's been over 100 degrees um, when you when you travel to Mexico. So it's hard to know. Clearly, some are being deterred, but we probably have to wait till what October to see if it, it it really receded permanently.
1: October, November. That's when. That's when the truth will be told as to what's happening. So, uh, but but even if even if the downturn uh, sticks like it is, it's still unacceptable. The 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 numbers are in the tens of thousands. Still, uh, family units coming over. Some of them might get sent to Mexico under MPP. I think that's a good thing. Uh, the Mexicans are doing transportation interdiction operations. You know, on buses. In their midsection and down by in Chiapas, that's a good thing. I think that's working. They're they're turning them around, uh, but boy, there's plenty of ways to get around the Mexican uh, military. Uh, there's it's you know through the Peten jungle uh, uh, down there. I'm hearing that they're going through there, and um, I interviewed uh, uh, four Mexican military uh, personnel who are service members who are patrolling our Rio Grande. And, um, you know, the, what they were telling me was not very heartening. They, they said that they personally are not allowed to grab migrants uh, because it's not illegal to go swimming in the Rio Grande. So the northern border patrol stuff, I have no confidence in at all that it's doing much of anything.
0: Oh, my gosh. Again, it, it, that, that's the thing. It's, it's our policies. The lesson is it's what we do. Don't rely on the Mexicans or Guatemala we need to enforce our laws they're enforcing them a little bit it's going down a little bit how about we enforce it a lot how about we have a country of by and for the american people what is going on is immoral i have a wife and i have three kids i live just outside of the lovely city of baltimore if i were to say you know what i feel bad for downtown baltimore and all these neighborhoods I'm going to invite people to live in the bedrooms of my kids, and I'm going to expend all the money and resources I have on them. Am I a good person? No, I'm not. And the analogy is not even good because, let's face it, like any parent knows, you tell your kids this, uh, you know, it's a dictatorship at home. we They are not our parents. The elected officials are the stewards of this American sovereign. If you want to represent Guatemala or Mexico, you are welcome to move there and run for office. You are American representatives and you are here to represent us. And then look, the courts. I mean, if the Trump administration continues allowing courts to stop anything, they're on the cusp of stopping some of these policies. Not that they have the power to do so. They don't have a lever. Um, The executive branch ultimately has to do that. They have to assert separation of powers. Unfortunately, what happens all too often is they could say Trump's not allowed to go to the bathroom and then he'll listen um, because we only have one branch of government. And that is whatever the Northern District of California says. So um, lots of information here. We got to run. Todd, could you tell us um, where people could find you?
1: Sure. Well, I have a Twitter account. So it's uh, Benzman Todd on Twitter. And I also have a uh, personal website where I collect all of my writings in one place. It's toddbensman.com. Uh, And then, of course, you know, for all of my immigration uh, writings, you can find them there. Uh, But you can go to CIS.org and look up my name and um, all of my material is there. Uh, I'll be writing uh, about my um, latest trip to Mexico to uh, interview migrants. I have a piece coming out today and a couple more next week. So keep your eye on that on my website or CIS.
0: Well, thank you so much, Todd, for joining us. There you have it, folks, at Benzman Todd on Twitter. Toddbensman.com is the website. You really, if if you're not following him, you don't know what's going on um, with the border. Look, this is a collaborative effort. We are here not to just opine to start a movement and uh you know, you could always email me at dharwitz at blazemedia.com. If you have questions for Todd, you want me to ask him and bring up in conversation we could discuss in subsequent shows with, with and without Todd. We're certainly going to have him back, as well as continue sending me your stories of suspected illegal aliens in your area that are committing crimes that aren't being reported. We are going to get that out. Have a terrific weekend. We had a great week here, very productive week. We're looking forward to to another great week of First Amendment free speech. As long as we still have it, uh, we're going to utilize it to its fullest. Thank you so much and God bless.